This is Saving the Game, a Christian podcast about tabletop role-playing and collaborative storytelling. Recorded Thursday, April 18th of 2019, it's episode 151. In this episode, Ryan Felton joins us to discuss actual play podcasts, plus performance anxiety before convention games, a thank you to our editor, the unique nature of actual play content and City on a Hill, how to improve actual plays as a player and as a game master, and more. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Grant. I'm Peter. I'm Jenny. I'm Ryan. Ryan, how are you? I'm good. How are you guys this evening? Doing well. Decent. We've got Ryan from City on a Hill Gaming with us. Uh, It's the actual play that we have been fortunate to be members of over the course of season two. It's been a lot of fun. Ryan, thank you very much for having us on and for joining us here. Thank you very much for joining us there and having me here. It's it's (laughs) It's going to be one of those episodes. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Very good. Take a minute to introduce yourself. Obviously, you're part of City on a Hill Gaming, but what is City on a Hill Gaming for those who, I don't know, maybe this is their first episode and they're just now hearing about it and us. Tell us what's going on. That works. So City on a Hill is an actual play podcast. So a recording of us actually playing uh, Dungeons and, in this case, 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons. So City on a Hill is something I started in January of 2018, I believe. Uh, Our first episodes didn't really release until that April because I'm a little lazy sometimes, but we we got there eventually. Uh, We are a bi-weekly uploaded podcast found on most of your favorite podcast apps i hope uh, if not let me know we sort of have two main focuses our primary is to be explicitly family friendly no inappropriate language references i don't even typically say the word die in anything um well and we've grabbed that and made sure that it almost never happens basically don't even have to worry about it with you guys which is actually kind of nice it makes it easier for me so like I I wanted something with the express intention of being family friendly because I've listened to a lot of actual plays, particularly over the the several years where I wasn't really getting to play something like D&D. I was listening or, or watching a lot of people play it and a lot of them kind of have a heavy amount of, of language, a lot of cursing, a lot of, of things like that that were just something I wasn't looking for in what I was listening to for, you know, my own reasons. And And I realized there's kind of you also in this void where there are a lot of people who are younger who are play. There are people who have to play with their children. And there wasn't a lot of stuff out there that you could listen to with a kid comfortably for the most part. And so that was kind of, I was kind of sitting at work looking for something to listen to, not finding anything, found you guys, uh, which I was very happy with started listening. And I'm like, okay, if I can't find it, that's kind of a problem. And I kind of felt like I was kind of having almost like this back and forth with God that was like, okay, well, if you can't find it, why don't you just do it yourself? And I'm like, I, okay, sure. Why not? We can try that. And so I, I kind of went in with this intention of wanting to do it family friendly, maybe from a Christian standpoint, uh, at least in terms of kind of the storytelling and, you know, some allegorical elements. And we just kind of went from there and we did season one, which was, I'm going to say 22 episodes uh, and basically wrapped up January of this year, January of 2019. And then it was kind of time to start over, do new characters. Uh, we were losing a couple of our players, reached out to you guys. You guys were interested in playing some dungeons and also dragons. And we've just kind of gone from there. 
Yeah. And it's been a lot of fun, let me tell you. I'm glad you guys have enjoyed it. Yeah, we had another good session last night. Yeah, well, yeah mm-hmm. we really did. And it met a need for us, too, because we've had people asking us about actual play content, and we've always been like, I don't know that we have the time and and hours to produce that. It'd be fun, but... Yeah, that was probably the most requested thing of us from, what, about year two on? It was, hey, when are you guys going to do an actual play? And it's like, uh, when we can afford to offload all of the editing for <laughs> it and the regular podcast? Yeah, basically, that's like, what it came down to. But, you know, joining someone else's actual play worked really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's a much smaller commitment of show up for a few hours once a month and play... As opposed to, all right, so we need to schedule this thing, we need to play and run it, then we need to edit it afterwards, post it up. It's just like, you know. Yeah. You, Ryan, you've been doing this for over a year. You know, podcasts are work. They can be, definitely. And But once a month has actually been workable because I take every, so we, we typically record for about two hours. And I take that two hours and then release two separate like 40 to 50 minute episodes. So it's not a ton of content, but it's enough to feel like you've really gotten through something. And it covers me for an entire month at a time, basically, every time we record. So it's it means you don't have to, you know, worry about trying to get six plus adults to all conjoin their schedules perfectly multiple times a month. Right. And we're going to be talking a lot about the logistics of this and the challenge of producing an actual play podcast once we start really digging into the details of City on a Hill and actual plays in general. Yep, yep. Ryan, before we go too much further with this, we have a little bit of news and notes. But first, do you have something you want to plug on our show? I'll go ahead and just give you the the where you can find us at Cindy on a Hill. And I'm going to throw one other podcast in there I've been listening to lately. I think you have as well, Grant. I'll get I'll do her at second. Uh, so we are City on a Hill Gaming dot com. Uh, City on a Hill Game on Twitter. City on a Hill Gaming is too many characters. And City on a Hill Gaming, I just really was not going to do. I'm from the South, and that just didn't work for me. Uh, so we are City <laughs> on a Hill Game on there. And uh, that's I don't really use any other social media. I'm kind of looking at some other stuff for the future. But for right now, that's it. Uh, and if you want to look for another kind of Christian nerd podcast, uh, I'd recommend the Christian uh, Gaming Podcast. That's uh, Raina Swift Sage. I think it's A underscore CG Podcast on Twitter, if I'm not mistaken. I'll give right. I'll give Grant the links uh, for that for the show notes. Um, she's more of a video games uh, kind of podcast, but from a Christian perspective and from almost like what kind of positive attitude and outlook can we have going into gaming so that it reflects well on others and others see that positivity that they may not see otherwise in games. So I really like her her standpoint on that. Awesome. Very cool. We'll make sure to link them in the show notes as well. One little note before we go on to our Patreon question. I want to give a special shout out to uh, Chivalry Bean, aka Justin Lowmaster, who's been editing every other episode for a while now. Uh, we didn't give him a thank you in episode 150. We gave him an ep- a thank you in 149, but he had to cut it <laughs> for <laughs> editing purposes. He edited himself so, out. Yeah. So don't cut this, Justin. <laughs> or at least, you know, tack it on to the end or something. Yeah, we're trying to publicly thank you. Don't thwart us. That's right. Watch <laughs> him cut this one and we'll all feel like fools. They'll keep doing it until you let it air. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but at any rate, he's been editing every other episode. He's been doing a really good job. And we want to thank him for that because it's been a huge help for me personally, uh, not having to worry about that 
every episode and just doing every other one. It's been it's been yeah. great. Justin's actually been super helpful for us too. He when we first started, uh, I was fairly new to fifth edition, and he was right there on Discord answering an entirely unnecessarily large amount of questions for me. So uh, very much appreciated. Yeah. Yeah, he's just generally a great dude. We we played a Feng Shui one shot with him back in the day, and that was actually the first time Jenny and I had game together. Yeah. So, yeah. And has has he been on City on a Hill? He has. Uh, he was. We have a sub series called Side Quests, which are kind of mm-hmm. not main storyline little stories. And he and uh, DM Dad from the Discord channel as well uh-huh. uh, were both on together uh, for a one shot. They played uh, Triton characters. Dealing with a group of merfolk. Ooh. Uh, Did I miss that one? That is, I'll have to go back and. I I'll, certainly missed that one. I'll I find don't you know the anything link. about Triton characters. I'll send you a link for it. They are, um, there's like a little, so merfolk were sort of the main villains in the first campaign. And the merfolk had to pass through Triton territory to get to their invasion point. And so he and um, Justin's character and DM Dad's character were sent out to kind of track them. And that was a, a little thing I did with the, the two of them. I'll, I'll figure out which one it is. And I'll give you the, the link for it as well. Very cool. All right. Let's go ahead and roll a die for a Patreon question, unless we have any other podcast news and notes. Uh, I've, got a, I've got a cool tidbit. Oh, yes, you do. I do. I got to catalog my first ever RPG rule book at my job today, and I'm really happy about it, and I want to talk about it. It's Reunification by Travis D. Hill. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Travis D. Hill. It's a really good game. He had a specific because he he uh, funded the uh, rulebook through Kickstarter, and he had like a specific reward for like and a book to a library. <laughs> so I backed at that level so that I could get it for my library, and it's cataloged now, and I'm very very happy about it. That's very cool. Oh, this is the letter writing. One. Yeah, it's the letter writing one. That's like totally silent for most of it what, what is it with oh, me in games where you're mostly silent for <laughs> the yeah, duration? i was in your but, sign game we weren't allowed to talk at all yeah this one you are allowed <laughs> to talk a little bit but only at certain points in the story huh i i mean I, it's it's very appropriate that the librarian plays games you know or runs games where you're shushed through if them <laughs> ever ever came to my library when it's open at any point you would eat your words. <laughs> it's a very hey, loud space. The stereotypes are a basis for jokes, okay? That's very true. That's Touché. very true. Yeah. No, that's very cool. I'm glad you got that in there. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. Let's do go ahead and roll our die. I'm going to link the um, reunification game in, or at least the Kickstarter page for it, in our uh, show notes for anyone else who wants to check it out. Mm-hmm. I believe Alrighty. it's available on their Gumroad, so we should maybe uh, link the Gumroad instead. All right, let's roll this die for real, shall we? Yes. All right. So this is from uh, John and Jenny Swan, who we had a question from recently. This is actually from John specifically. I hope this is the question I think it is. I'm not a shy person in social situations normally, but I find myself suffering from performance anxiety whenever I sit down to a con game. It can be worse with LARPs. Do you have any advice on how to deal with this? Huh. I have a little bit. If you are like me at all in in your particular brand of, of anxiety, then if you are at a convention, I would recommend taking one slot in which you do nothing. And mm-hmm. that's generally, for me, the first slot of the day. 
so that I can sort of calm myself, properly wake up, because the first slot of the day is frequently, like, well before noon. I'm no good well before (laughs) noon. (laughs) So I just sort of put myself in situations where I know that I will, where, where I'm setting, literally setting myself up for success. I also take every opportunity to have a little bit of a breather, like a literal breather, like calming breathing techniques and that kind of thing. I also am the same person who has a massive amount of, you know, separation between myself and my character. So I have very little difficulty sort of letting my character loose. And that may just be an experience thing. I know that during my first convention, I was incredibly nervous. I did have a lot of performance anxiety. John, I don't know how how often you go to conventions, but like I found that the more I went to, the better I did. Mm-hmm. I personally have also never done LARPs, so I I don't I, I can't speak to that specifically. I know I'd be a nervous wreck at my first LARP. I know that for sure, and then I'd probably get better with time. So I've got a couple of things. I'm gonna start off by saying I agree with pretty much everything that Jenny said, you know, whatever you need to do to kind of just set your mental, you know, steady state as good as you can do that i would also suggest take somebody with you and try and be in the same slots a little bit so you've got at least one person that's familiar there but maybe not throughout the entire convention do like the first slot or two with your friend and then split off and go do your own stuff so you've kind of got yourself built up and you're a little more feeling a little more comfortable and you can cascade off of that momentum and go do other stuff without having another person around to rely on too much Uh, The other thing is, if you can go to a con where you don't necessarily see people all the time, but you know a bunch of the people that are going to the convention, that's fantastic. Yeah. I I know all of us have had good luck with Fear the Con that way, and that it's kind of like... It was a community already. Yeah, it's like half convention, half unofficial family reunion almost yeah but even like save against fear was sort of like that for you too wasn't it jenny i mean you met some yeah very um, much. folks that you knew and uh, a couple of listeners to the podcast and that yeah. sort of thing so i i will say the i am always the most intimidated when i go to can games because the only people that i know there are generally my parents there was one time where we met up with a guy who I'd met when I was literally a toddler. (laughs) (laughs) And I I did not, like, I don't know the guy, but, like, that was the only common connection that I had with someone not in my immediate family. It is always, always, always more intimidating for me to to go to a a convention where I don't know anybody like like can games. I think... This this may be a small town thing. This is this is somewhat related to uh, my agoraphobia, actually, where... You think you're you're going to a con and this took me so long to get over, but you you're you're going to a con game. You sit down and like a lot of people I I've talked with people about this before and they've said they're probably never gonna see the person again. So they can let themselves go completely nuts and they're like, eh, I'm never gonna see him again. For me, coming from a small town where everybody knows everybody, if I make a fool of myself in front of somebody for the first time, I've ruined a first impression. And so, and I assume that I'm going to see this person again. So that's, that's where my source of anxiety comes from with, with that kind of, kind of setting. But I have slowly, very slowly, and pretty much only in the context of conventions, been able to convince myself that, no, yeah, I can make a little bit of a fool of myself in front of these new people. And you know what? 
maybe I have ruined a first impression, maybe not. I am probably not going to see this person again. Ta-da. That was actually going to be my advice as well, is the keep in mind, you, you're not going to game with these people again at the very least. Or if you do, yeah. you know, it's going to be a one-shot and it's going to be a completely different game and character, so who cares? Uh, I am also usually, one of the things I usually do in a con game is I tell myself it's okay if my character screws up and makes poor decisions because I'm not, you know, as long as it's not, I'm ruining the game, as long as it's like, oh yeah, I'm going to be the guy who walks into the trap. Oh yeah, I'm going to be the guy who reads the, the Eldritch Scroll in the Call of Cthulhu game. That's fine. It's going to happen. Because it's a con game where lots of drama has to be packed into a short couple of hours. You don't have months to tell a story. So things are going to happen rapidly and that's okay. Be the person who moves things along. And to a certain degree, telling yourself, I'm going to step up and be the proactive player who does things weirdly gets me over the performance anxiety thing because all of a sudden it's like, well, I'm just doing stuff. Who cares? It'll also endear you to the whole table if the rest of the people sitting at it are worth their salt and realize what they're doing and in a con game. especially the GM. If yes. you are the mover and the shaker, the GM will thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Again, assuming you're not being a complete jerk. Yeah. Um, yeah. But let's assume that going forward. But yeah. More yeah. the mover, repeating. less the shaker. <laughs> yes. Um, the other thing is I don't get performance anxiety at con games, but I get it really badly right before I GM, even for like our weekly D and D group. And so focusing on successes that you've had at previous tables helps a lot where he's like, no, I can do this. It's fine. It just kind of point thinking about it, it worked fine last time. And then thinking about, okay, what do I know about this game going forward? And, you know, in my role as GM, it's, this is where I want the story to go. Let me look over my notes and kind of distract myself that way. When you're sitting down at the table, I'd say, like I said, think about previous successes you've had at the table. Think about what you know about the system, what questions you have for the GM. I would say start a conversation with the GM because, you know, it always takes a little while for everybody to get to the table, right? It's just kind of a, everybody filters in. One guy's got the the snack that they ran to get and they're like three minutes late and they're like, oh, sorry, sorry, I had to get nachos, you know, whatever, right? Fact of con games. Take those minutes to, like, ask the GM, like, hey, is there anything that I need to do to, to get you started? You know, anything I can do to, to help make things easier at the table? Make little placards out of, like, note cards or something. Be like, hey, this is my name and uh, what's my character's name? And here's my character name. And then turn that around so the rest of the table can see it. Just do something helpful at the table to, A, give yourself something to do, and B, start making yourself feel like you belong at the table and are comfortable there. For me, I have never been to a con nor LARPed, so uh, speaking from zero experience, but I think knowing myself like I do, and I, I kind of take a little bit of time to get acclimated to a crowd, I think some kind of combination of kind of what you guys said, like especially what Peter and Jenny said, of maybe not for me necessarily taking the first block to not do something, but maybe finding something, a system I know well, and like Peter said, that maybe has someone I know in it, if possible. That way I'm kind of at least not jumping heavily into something unfamiliar with no one I know right away. And then that way you've kind of worked your way into sort of that comfort zone. Now I need to do a con game at some point because it's not something I've done. Huh. I'm going to have to fix that later. Uh, Save Against Fear just opened up their, their ticket sales, if I recall correctly. So uh, Where is that one? Uh, 
Pennsylvania? Yeah, Pennsylvania, Harrisburg. That's not... That's like nine hours. That's not terrible. Yeah, that's it, pretty much what Mom and I drove when we went. I've got family in Pennsylvania. That's actually not... Yeah. I've done I've yeah. done the drive. It's not too bad. Perfect. All right. Well, John, I hope we answered that question for you. And if you have other follow-up ones, send those in to us. And if you want to get your questions in, first off, we have a bunch of Patreon supporters who are have not sent in questions, so please go ahead and do so. You can send those to hosts at stgcast.org or send them through, like, Facebook or tweet them at us, DM us, post them in Discord, whatever, right? Just send let them us directly know. through Patreon, however you want. <laughs> yeah, any of these options work for us. Just let us know. Make sure you, like, tag us and be like, hey, this is a message, because... Sometimes we miss those. But if you want to support us on Patreon and help us stay on the air, you can do so. Patreon.com slash saving the game. And of course, you get questions, you get access to show notes, you get topic polls and all sorts of fun stuff. So send those in. Let's go ahead and read our scripture and then we will go ahead and talk about actual plays. Who wants to start us off with 2 Samuel? I'll take it. This is 2 Samuel 2.6. May the Lord now show you kindness and faithfulness, and I too will show you that same favor because you have done this. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. Matthew five fourteen through 16, and this is a English standard version. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Amen. Sorry, that's the ending to a, a very uh, common Anglican prayer. Had to. Oh, okay. I like that. <laughs> it's sort of like any time anyone says, you know, uh, God be with you or anything like that, you just have to respond. Oh, and, and also, also with you. you. And also with you. Yeah. yeah. But for us, it's the Lord be with you. Or if somebody says God is good, you reflexively say all the time. <laughs> Yes. What? That's uh, a that, that, <laughs> okay. Pentecostally speaking, yes. That's uh, definitely also a, a thing. Methodist thing. Really? Okay. No, that's something I'm very used to um, from a Pentecostal standpoint. Okay. That happens a lot. In our lot. town, the Pentecostals and the Methodists got all mixed up. There was a, like, two churches merged. That's an interesting combination. Now, granted, it was not your guys' Methodist. It was free Methodist? Oh, um, yeah, I, okay. I so, don't know what that means, yeah. but okay. <laughs> it means they are not UMC. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, much like there are many kinds of Baptist and Lutheran, same with Methodists. Oh, yeah. okay. And more Presbyterians than you would think. Yeah. yeah. See, I was born and raised Church of God, so it's um, it's interesting listening to you guys because sort of like that ecumenical standpoint you guys come from is not one I'm super familiar with. It's, it's actually kind of been a learning experience. Yeah. Oh, hey, glad we can provide that ecumenical perspective then. Ryan and I had like a whole conversation during my character's side quest about like Anglican prayers and stuff like that. There's there's phrases I no longer say in game specifically <laughs> for that reason. <laughs> Just because I know Ginny will immediately respond to them. Yep. <laughs> And that was entirely uh, unintentional when I did it the first time. Okay, all right. What on? We're in this now, and we're talking about the topic. So, okay. What? What do you not say so Jenny doesn't reflexively respond? Okay. Do so, it. So so far. Oh, oh. Okay. I'll just do it. Uh, Yahweh be with you. And also with you. Yeah. There we go. Okay. 
And now I'm fully expecting lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. And then you begin the collect. <laughs> I like it. I mean, the call and response thing, it's built into anybody who's been to church. It's just a question of which call and which response. Fair, right? No, no, no. You've never been to my boyfriend's home church. I, I was going to say, you've never been to an evangelical free church. There is none of that. Or Pentecostal. Yeah, call and response zero. Is, is not as common as I, you know, I, I frequently forget how uncommon it is in some places. We're, since we're talking about this, coming from an evangelical free church background, the first time I attended a Catholic mass, I found it creepy. I literally had a friend tell me, like, because uh, when I was uh, in second year, I I made, like, one Christian friend at school. There, Like, almost nobody else was Christian there. Or there there were a fair number, I just didn't know they were Christian. And then I I made a really good friend who who was, and I was like, Hey, do you want to come to church with me? And she was like, oh, no, uh, your church is a cult and I can't. And I was like, oh, "Oh, is it because of the liturgy? She's like, yeah, the liturgy is, um, you know, I I didn't really want to mention it to you, but by my church, the liturgy is kind of like demon worship and we don't do that. (laughs) I'm like, oh, what? um, Okay. (laughs) What? Wow. Okay. All right, well, I'm never bringing that up with you again. <laughs> at, at my church, the there's a blessing at the end, and it is sort of call and response. It's kind of an optional mm-hmm. thing. It's uh, from Numbers six twenty four through twenty six, I think. Actually, when I went to I went to a a Christian college, and we had chapel uh, every Tuesday and Thursday, and chapel ended with a sort of call and response. Less call and response, and everybody recite the same thing, blessing at the end. And it like if someone starts it, I can still do it. It's just kind of it sticks with you after a while. Yeah, I mean the thing is, we are as PCUSA Presbyterians. There's a great deal of recital of lots of different things. You know, you're, we're doing the Lord's Prayer, we're doing the Apostles' Creed every service, anytime. We do the doxology during offering as Methodists. Yeah, we don't. We actually sing it. We don't say it. So do we. But it's always as the pastor is taking the offering plates up to the altar. Yeah, you guys do your doxology at a weird time. Yeah, we do it right after, but other than that, We just yeah. have an announcement video that plays during... Oh, no, there's no videos. <laughs> during like we're, we're pretty <laughs> Actual play and church customs with saving the game and sitting That's at right, a I, I should point out that um, we have one very modern service in like the fellowship hall with videos and a band and all that, and then a very traditional service after Sunday school. So, you know. There's kind of two cultures, as it were. Yeah. Uh, two two cultural ships passing in the night. They tried that briefly at my parents' church when I was younger, kind of doing a, a more traditional kind of with hymn service and then a uh, like commonplace praise and worship service for the second one. It was mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. I like me some good old-fashioned redback hymnal. My church still does that. I mean, that's what I grew up with and much prefer, but that's me. But anyway, getting back to the whole call and response thing, one of the other big ones is, uh, you know, anyone anytime anyone says... Uh, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to Thanks God. Thanks be to God. Thanks. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. See, I'm learning For us, lots of uh, things. We, we, changed, we changed it to uh, listen, uh, hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. Thanks be to God. I don't mm. like that one nearly as much. No. But, I mean, I could see why. I, it's not bad, just. Yeah. It's not there. It's, it it's almost, not home. It almost sounds a little more Pentecostal. <laughs> we do have a topic about actual plays that we're going to get to eventually. Um, <laughs> Someday. Uh, yeah, but let's let's go ahead and talk about this. So 
Are there other things, Ryan, that you have done to accommodate players or set up your game such that certain things aren't brought up or anything like that? Like when you're setting up your actual play, what are kind of the ground rules that you have? So that has been an interesting process for me as we've gone. There are some things that are very core and foundational to particularly Dungeons and Dragons that depending on your audience can get kind of an like a not super positive response. I, I kind of want this to not just be something for people who want to listen to a D&D actual play. I want this to be kind of a bridge for people who are maybe looking for something different, you know, are from a Christian background and don't maybe know enough about D&D and have some questions or like you guys have talked about, you know, grew up during the satanic panic or whatever and have some things they're not really familiar with or are uncomfortable with. So there's certain words and concepts I've kind of pushed to the side or replaced just kind of for a general comfort level for things. I think it just, it's something I'm more comfortable doing it for a general audience. So that it's just kind of, it doesn't really matter who's listening. I'm kind of going in as clean and, and even for everybody as I can. Uh, so wizard was the first word I replaced when we started. Cause wizard depending on, on, you know, how you grew up, where you grew up, whatever, it can have kind of a negative connotation to some people. Uh, so I actually went and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with that. Daniel, who's, who in our current series is playing a ranger, played a, a wizard in the first uh, season of, of our actual play. And I was looking for a word and the concept I came across was actually magi. And that magi to me is, you know, kind of has the same feel and it's also a term that I'm I'm choosing to pull from at least some translations of the Bible, where when you're talking about uh, around Jesus' birth, you're talking about like the three wise men. They sometimes refer to them as magi, and they're sort of men of learning, men of philosophy and understanding. And I just kind of parlayed that into men who have learned to, who have taken that learning to a next step through Yahweh's guidance or whatever to gain certain abilities from their learning. And there's nothing mechanically different about them. It's yeah. just a, a a flavor thing. But but that is actually a very charged word in some Christian circles. Um, it is. When I was growing up, I, I listened to a Christian rock band called uh, Whiteheart. And one of their songs started off with the phrase, you don't need to be a wizard to see it's a dangerous world. And I ran across a version of the video for that where the word wizard had been silenced out of it. It was very jarring. Huh. Huh. Almost that's, like it was an actual obscenity or something. Right. And it's just like, yeah. hey, yeah. that's different. I don't like how some people <laughs> censor things like that because you're clearly leaving a void where your imagination just fills in what's supposed to be there. And that's not better. No, no. it's really not. That, and that's so I and that's another one of our things is like there's no and you guys don't. And no, none of our players, I think, have ever cursed at any point that I've had been recording and had to edit anything out. But I don't want that to be there. So those pauses and weird cuts don't show up because it's just it's like you said, it's very jarring. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. The other change I made was actually for this season. uh, Jenny had brought up maybe doing some kind of sorcerer. That's another. Yeah. Along the same lines, heavily charged word. Uh, And so what I did is this one, instead of just replacing word for word, I actually kind of took the class and pulled some things from it and then just kind of gave it a new name and renamed a bunch of the powers, kind of gave it a new feel and a new look. And so we have something here called Crimsonborn and you can't choose. And this is a part of uh, John 
uh, Jenny's character's backstory, you can't necessarily choose to be Crimsonborn. They are, uh, J- Jenny, what's your, your word for it? Very magical accident. Yes. There was a very magical accident in our story that kind of released this overwhelming amount of energy from a different plane. And it, you know, instead of like damaging things or hurting people, it kind of imbued them with these different abilities and powers, but it can be complicated and painful and not super fun. Warlock is another one. Reminds that, me of a certain superhero origin, actually, or a couple of them come to think of it. Very similar to that. Yeah. Yeah, when I brought up um, the very magical accident idea, I thought we were going to go with a variant of the um, wild magic sorcerer, which can come from a very magical accident. Okay. But it's it's still tied to that sorcerer background. And because that was something that we wanted to shy away from, Ryan was able to tie it directly into a particular piece of the setting. The abilities and and stuff that he came up with for the Crimsonborn actually gave me like a really good jumping off point to go with that to, to the point where I don't it, it, I consider it a different class like it it's it's a very good reskin of the sorcerer class to the point where I very rarely if ever catch myself saying sorcerer in reference to John because right. it's it's I, I just think of it as a as a very different thing. Yeah, I do too. And that's, you know, I, I'm very familiar with all of the, the D&D classes, but John does not stand out as like, oh, it's a sorcerer with a different name in my, in my head. Yeah, right? it seems something very st- uh, setting specific. Yeah. Yeah, which is great. And that kind of leads into another topic, which is designing the game that you're running for being uh, as something being consumed as an actual play and the setting these things are intertwined because okay there are things i don't want to say on air there are concepts i don't want to bring up on air i need to take those out of the game which means i i have to have a world that doesn't have those things then you start homebrewing that and all of a sudden you've got a very different homebrew world that's designed for the game you want to present to people to listen to as well as to play in, but also, you know, to consume as external listeners and consumers of it. What What is that process like? It's been a significant learning experience over, uh, at this point, about 14, 15 months, come bordering on a year and a half. It started as this kind of very just central location, very generic D&D world, you know, humans, dwarves, elves, whatever. And... I kind of placed things on the map when I needed them. Right. And eventually at one night at work, I just kind of took nine sticky notes, put them all down on a piece of notebook paper together and just started drawing a map. And it's very broad and open and a lot of stuff isn't labeled. And it's giving me room to just kind of, okay, I need a place to put Ginny's magical accident. Here looks good. (laughs) It's a relevant spot to put it. I can make this thing next to it make more sense. Where's William's character from? Because William's playing an Aarakocra, which is not a very common thing, probably in any D&D world. Yeah. Bird person. Bird person. <laughs> where bird person go? Okay, bird person go here. Uh, what can I put? And it's just been this whole thing. And uh, along those lines, I had one one entire basically sticky note that I just labeled because I didn't know what I wanted to put there. I just labeled it the Unknown Shores. And it's the name of Magic Card, and I thought it sounded cool. What it turned into is a world... Is like this own separate location that no one 
in the rest of sort of the plane because I, I sort of refer to the world you guys playing in as a as a plane more magic the gathering influence and no one on the rest of the plane really ever goes there it's very dangerous you know no one's really communicated with the people there back and forth in in well over 100 years it's just kind of this own separate place that people kind of leave on its own and so i've been able to start this sub series of recordings with some other podcasters that's set just there uh, separate completely like removed from the eyes of the rest of the plane as this just oh well okay now i have something to do with this space that i just kind of left blank because i didn't know what to do with it and that's been right. an interesting process uh there's we've recorded twice so far the first one is uh brian and james from geek at arms and the second one is brian and james from geek at arms kyle from min max and mike perna from in ministries Ooh, you got a good combo there and his super interesting warforged character whose name is this there's nothing to follow that his name is the word this um that was completely him and it's a fascinating backstory that we're gonna have to dig into some more at some point that sounds great he really he he threw me a curveball without him like uh okay sure that's fine that's also been a lot of my world building is you know ben says i want to play uh uh oh what's the rate uh goliath but a you know below average size and strength goliath who kind of masquerades as something else because people like the Goliaths never treated him well. Okay. What can I do with that? Where can I put that? It's just, it's been a lot of adapting. Yeah. I don't think you had Furbolg in your setting until I played Desilov. Our, our setting was elves, humans, dwarves, and tabaxi because Jenna likes cat people. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that was basically it. And then I introduced, you know, kind of the merfolk and, and goblins. They fought goblins for like the first six episodes <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. I was, I hadn't really, I had DM'd maybe one other actual campaign before, and that was Pathfinder. And prior to us starting, I had played two hours of fifth edition. And so it was just kind of a, what can I do that I know? And then it's kind of been a learning experience from there, listening to you guys, um, Min Max, uh, talking to, to Justin, you know, just kind mm-hmm. of picking up things as I go and just kind of making it work but leaving the world open has kind of given me a space to say um sure put that there and it's like moving a house like you just set the boxes places until you know what to do with them until until you're ready to arrange the furniture and i arrange it a room at a time and if i have to move something later that's fine but it kind of gives me this blank canvas to work with and that's been it's made it a lot easier for me like doing an actual play you either have like to have this crazy strict foundation or just kind of roll with it. And I'm trying to at least learn to roll with it. It's been curious. You, you're doing a really good job. I appreciate yeah. that. Like the average GM would not roll with us avoiding combats in the way that we do. <laughs> That's like, been a very curious thing for me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually wanted to talk about that specifically. One thing that's been noticeable in this season is I think you have grown as a GM. I'll say that from season one, because you're much less, you feel much less trapped into the, well, we have to have a fight each session mentality. And that was definitely my mentality. And it was, here's an army of things to punch. Here's a different colored army of things to punch. Because that's all I could really work my mind around originally. And so it's goblins. Now it's humans. Now it's merfolk. And then that's all it ever was. And then you guys came along and were like, literally first session, I'm like, dragon. And you're like, 
so I want to talk to it. And I'm like, um, okay, <laughs> sure. <laughs> I, 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 I told the MinMax people this. She was going to say a seven word sentence as you walked away. And that was going to be it. And that was just to see if you guys even made the perception checks to hear her say it. There was going to be nothing else out of that that character. And then you guys walked in there like, hey, hi, we're here to pick up a thing. Like a delivery person just showing up like it's the mailman's there. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> OK, hi. Hi, I'm a dragon. How are you? And it just we I just went with it. And it's been interesting. I have plans every week. I Every time we record, I have plans. And then you guys do a thing. And we just roll with it and see where we end up. Yeah, well, I, I think that's good reactive GMing. Right. When the the first campaign, and I, I, again, I think that's something I picked up you know, just from listening to the podcast. The first campaign was very much like I'm very, when I play d and I'm very much a min-maxer. I'm very much into all the cool things my character can do. And when I GM, I have a really, really terrible time not just setting down this very, very narrow path literally and figuratively for you guys to follow your way down, forcing myself to find story elements and let them flow, but not just literally rail your roads, you guys straight down, you know, cross country through this very short form story is something I'm having to learn to do. And it's, it's a struggle for me because I don't know, particularly when we're playing not in person and I'm trying to pre map things I, f- I force myself into so much structure that I think it becomes a problem sometimes, but I'm having to learn to grow around that or away from it, one or the other. I'll say this. I don't think it's been a problem so far. And I think having a structure is particularly good when you are trying to kind of say, this is the rough flow of a story that I want to come out of this because it's not just being consumed by the people who are participating in the game and have agency in the game, it's also being consumed by listeners who don't have agency. Sure. That, to me, is the biggest difference between an actual play game and, like, your regular, you know, tabletop role-playing game. Not every participant has agency. Yeah, to to kind of go with uh, what Grant was just saying there, if you have one of those nights in just, like, a regular... You know, there's no microphones, there's no cameras, you're just sitting there playing with your friends. And you have one of those nights where the game just stalls for an evening, right? You get Mm -hmm. like half an hour in and then just like nothing happens. You just dither around like, you know. You push the button. No, I want to go down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like at the end of the Shadowrun game, actually, which killed it off, we dithered around for like four sessions or something like that. That could kill your listenership in an actual play. Mm -hmm. Um, So you need to have a little bit more structure and a a little less room to just sit there and be paralyzed with indecision. So I I think the structure is actually a good thing for the format. I think the episodicness of it becomes necessary because we don't ever record for more than like two and a half hours. And I've got to cut that into two distinct parts. I'm used to playing for six or seven hours at a time where you can do whatever. Combat can be three hours of that time period. There's a 30 minute break in the middle. There's whatever. We don't like that luxury has gone. Well, the other thing, too, is combat is necessarily the slowest part of any role playing game because there's the least happening in terms of, you know, uh, how long it takes versus the actual procedural progress that is made. Right. Mm-hmm. People like the break for a fight scene in a movie, and that that works fine in a in a game or a movie or something like that where that is a a nice gratification 
beat. But if it goes on forever and nothing is happening, it gets really boring. There's a reason why the last half hour of District 9 is the weakest. If anybody's seen District 9, it is a very violent movie that is a not at all subtle uh, jab at apartheid in South Africa. Right. Um, in which aliens are heavily segregated. And the last half hour is one big combat. And I feel it is the weakest because that combat does nothing but combat. If you are not moving the story forward, then you're, you're dithering. Right. And one thing you've been good about, Ryan, is letting people surrender when the combat is obviously won so that we are not spending an extra 20 minutes mopping up. Well, and that that serves a dual purpose, right? It, it allows our characters to not be these bloodthirsty, pitiless killers that like you often see in RPG parties. So we're sending a good message and it also moves the story along faster. So it's kind of a win-win. When it, and for me, it was very much a... So like I don't... Like, like we said, there's certain things I leave out of this game. I basically... Like when you guys take down a goblin or a, or a whatever i just remove it from the map i say it's one i don't even say the word kill or die or, or any of that because i we do have children who listen um or at the very least teenagers and so there's certain things i want to remove again and so every once in a while when you guys are just like what fight and i'm like okay it a <laughs> gets you a more amusing story moment b i get to avoid all those words and like last, so we recorded last night. Spoilers: there was an actual fight for once, <gasps> but that was like, and it wasn't a long fight. There were only like four enemies, but that felt really long and uncomfortable to me because it's like the first time we've really done that. And so as we're recording, I'm like, this is, oh. and that's also sort of my style. Like I don't, I'm not one of those super descriptive people in combat. It's not something I'm used to from when I've played in person, and so. When you translate to an actual play, and I think our first season kind of suffered from that a little bit because there was so much combat and because I'm not in how I describe things, it doesn't come across that way, uh, like very vibrantly and, you know, like you're, you're actively watching something happen. It makes combat a little awkward in, in this setting, particularly because, I mean, if you're watching Critical Role or, or something on YouTube, you're watching them move the miniatures and, and do all this stuff. When you're just listening to us talk, I rolled a 23, you hit seven damage cool next person it's a struggle sometimes and i didn't realize that when we started yeah i feel that's something we all collectively need to get better at is kind of turning that into a narrative fair and i i think i need to as soon as you guys enter a place i need because this is what something we've talked about i need to take more time and just say this is what the room looks like this is who you see instead of k you're in the room there's three orcs what do that's quicker but for an audience, that's not interesting <laughs> for, for lack of like it moves the story along faster. But taking an extra 15 seconds to describe what the room looks like and where everything's positioned won't kill me. And it'll make things more interesting to listen to. So I, I think that's definitely something I, I want to try and push towards in the future is maybe making it a little more uh, vibrant, I guess. Honestly, this is going to sound really dumb. Write up box text for every map. I kind of like that, actually. That's a, okay, fair point. Just, you know, even if you just say, all right, we're going to stop and read some box text real quick, make it kind of a, a an ongoing joke in the game or something, you know, it's fine. But just the idea of like, let me stop and level set, not just for the listeners, but also for the players. Mm -hmm. 
I think that might be a good idea. I like that actually. That's um, and that's what they're in the book for, is to yeah, g- exactly. to give you that visual. And when we don't have any visual, like you guys are playing on a map, no one else gets to see that. So exactly. And even if we were live streaming on Twitch, it's still not got the same feel of well, yeah, look at all those brown squares. Um, it's really yeah, not the same because you're not making the map to be consumed by a broad audience. Nope. You're not a professional, you know, uh, artist. You're just doing a quick and dirty battle map so that we have places to move around. And it's yeah, this is wood because they're wood walls. Cool. I found a wood texture right. and slapped it up there. Neat. Right. Yeah. And that's great. Don't get me wrong. That is totally within, you know, the the tradition of let me just sketch this out real quick on this gridded paper or whatever. And I think I wouldn't be happy. Like we could do theater of the mind combat or I could just slap you guys on a hex grid and slap some enemies down there and everybody go have fun. But that would just frustrate me. <laughs> like me, <laughs> me personally, I would. Yeah. The, like if we did that for more than two fights, I would be very, very frustrated internally. Well, I think everyone would be pretty bored with that, too. Yeah. I need to see a a, a, a literal anything. Mm-hmm. And the more columns I put on a map, the more places Jenna had to hide in the first season. Um, <laughs> so that was always a, a uh, factor. Yes, rogues. Um, uh, yep. Mm-hmm. yep. Aster did that, too, a lot in the colony game. Oh, Yes. And took advantage of flanking rules and anything else she could, and then was horribly destructive because rogues. You know, that sounds yeah. very familiar, yeah. 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 My goodness, she was lethal. She also <sighs> just rolled well. Well, she was also rolling with a plus, like, five to nine bonus to just about everything, Ooh. too, because she had a 20 in dex. Rogues. So, Seems yeah. decent. <laughs> it was good. Um, other things about actual plays that are maybe worth talking about. One thing that I think we all need to get better at, too, is putting, like, a little radio drama emphasis on character interaction. Like, you know, really kind of hamming it up a little bit. Okay. And that sounds silly, but – and I know we're not all, you know, improv people or actors or anything like that, but we, we're there to have fun. Let's mm-hmm. be a little goofy and get into character. Yeah, yeah. I, I know that, like, you and I have at least been trying because yeah. Bertrand, uh, you know, I'll – I'll give him a Scottish accent just enough to try and make it stick in people's heads. There's some banter and stuff that's happened where, you know, it's kind of you're playing kind of the exaggerated Disney night, really, with Trather. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I love every moment of it. Oh, yeah. good. I'm yeah. glad. Yeah, I am trying to be the comic relief in the party. Yeah, it, it's it's working. Mm-hmm. It is. I do change my voice a little bit for John. It's noticeable, but not significant. I am... A feminine person trying to put on a masculine voice without sound, sounding like I'm I'm uh, trying r- real hard, right. you know? Like I'm <laughs> yeah. it's it's a little harder for me. A little from... like Brian Blessed there. <laughs> <laughs> if oh, if you want to do that Blessed. in the recordings, I'm not gonna t- I'm probably gonna tell you no, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean I I have a couple other like masculine voices that I can do, but they are over the top and ridiculous. Um and and they don't fit with the emo goth character yeah. that I'm going with. Well and that's the thing too, your character is kinda quiet a lot of the time. He is. He's a moody, sulky boy. And and I'm I am trying to play that up because it's very, very different from me. Like I, I think that comes across pretty well that like like 
I, Jenny, have a very different mode of speaking than John does because John's kind of gruff. He's a little bit, you know, he has fewer inflections in his voice when he talks. He's he's a lot, a lot quieter in, in that sense. So I think I do a decent job like that without putting on an accent or or doing the comic relief bit. So I think I'm okay in that sense, but I also feel like I could do more with describing visually like with with visuals what my character is doing because it's all well and good to be like i go up to the dude and i do shocking grasp like i i can do better than that i know i can do better. john literally your right arm literally or left arm whichever it is literally glows half the time yeah. because of the the crimson born power so they i i think we can definitely do some more with that the the way that I'm picturing, you know what? I'll get into the visual description of that on City on a Hill because that it's more relevant. Save there. it for there. It, yes, it's it's hard to remember yeah. to do that though because I've I've got some very specific ideas in mind, even of what um, the character that I'm playing in Grant's Eberron game, Nasir, what it looks like when he uses his magic. I have never once in the entire campaign remembered to actually describe it as I do it. No, it's just like yeah, I use the spell, you know. <laughs> Yeah, and in fairness, I think we run into the same problem in my Eberron game that we might run into in City on a Hill, where there's relatively limited amounts of time. Yeah. We want to tell a story, and, you know, we want to move things along. Mm-hmm. We don't want to waste time. Two is not a lot of time for it's a role-playing really session. No. It really isn't, and it's sad. I wish we could get up to four, even, but... Despite that, you guys have covered a lot of ground the last two sessions. <laughs> yeah. You have, but you know what? I there is one thing that's missing. And by the way, I don't want this to come across as let's critique City on a Hill because I think it's going really well. Oh, yeah. But I think these are general considerations that anybody who's putting together an actual play episode or uh, series may want to think about. And they're definitely ones I do want to think about. So you're you're totally good there. I yeah, and these are like hard-won lessons, not like some theoretical stuff, which is why I'm phrasing them in this context. One thing that we have not made room for, and this is as much a a player problem as a GM problem, almost all of our interactions are player to GM and character to GM NPC. Yeah. There's Ooh. very little character PC to character to PC conversation. Accurate. Yeah. And that's something that we generally just don't do in this game and we have not made room for. And obviously that's something that the players need to initiate. And I certainly understand that we are all sort of procedurally motivated to go solve the problem. Sure. Right. Yeah. Like we are not the kind of improv people who will be happy spending four hours getting deep into psyches. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that that happened a lot in the colony game, but even then it took a lot of time. Like we were not doing that for probably the first, what, 15 sessions at least. Yeah. And that was with a group that had played together in a pretty emotionally intense Shadowrun game and, you know, had has been good friends for a while. It takes a while to warm up to that. And I totally get that. But, you know, sort of like the con game thing, don't be afraid. It's just a character. They're going to go away at the end of the season. Go ahead and throw caution to the wind and lean into it, right? And I I, I think that's some because that's really engaging. And it's a break from the procedural progress, which can sometimes be difficult to track. You need to, yeah. to back up and have some drama, and, and drama here meaning interaction between characters at an emotional level not like oh they're being dramatic have some some drama between characters to complement procedural progress and 
obviously I'm using the terms like dramatic and procedural. I'm pretty heavily influenced in how I'm talking about things by uh, Robin D. Laws' uh, Beating the Story and Hamlet's Hit Points. Hamlet's Hit Points. Thank you. Those are really good books, and I'll make sure to link those in the show notes. I just picked up Beating the Story a little while ago. It was It's a pretty good read, but more for reading. But if you haven't read Hamlet's Hit Points, it's a really good book. But that idea of you know procedural versus dramatic interactions, they're really strong, and they are definitely two different kinds of storytelling, which are both necessary in a good story, but serve different purposes. And we've been really focusing on one, and I think it would be rewarding for listeners to also hear the other. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't want to completely replace it, because when you're turning into a D&D actual play— you don't expect four to six hours of high drama and role play without dice rolling and beating up goblins. Sure. But we really should be trying to like talk amongst ourselves a little more. If that's that's a I think that's the the takeaway from what Grant was just saying is like we as players need to try and talk amongst each other a little bit more and like have the characters try and get to know each other and stuff because you get cool stuff out of that if you can get into it. When I kind of shoved you guys all together in that traditional, we need a party of adventurers to do a thing opening, and there's there's no reason we can't have two or three minutes, a couple times a session, where Trather talks to, you know, Vatten, or John talks to R about whatever they're doing, or not even that. We can talk about how good Trather looks in his new cloak, because that's going to be entertaining and there can be I'll do my best you've done it so far we got real interesting with it last time I'm totally fine with it there there can be room for that because much like when you guys avoid combat and I'm, I'm going to call it that even though it's not necessarily what it always is you always do it in a way that I consider to be very entertaining and and good radio and anytime we can do that there's no reason we shouldn't yeah. In in whatever mm-hmm. form it takes, even if it's just these, you know, simple conversations, even if they have no no clue or no, you know, connection to what's happening in the story. If it provides an entertainment factor or it strengthens those bonds with you guys as characters, because you guys. I reached out to everybody and I was like, hey, do you want to do this with me and play D&D? William, or William knew Jonathan and Jenna. Jonathan and Jenna knew Ben. Daniel knows me. I know you guys. You guys don't know any of them. So there's no, this isn't like we've been sitting around a table for the last year and a half, once a week playing D&D for six hours, like I used to, you know, back where I grew up. There's not those foundations. And I guess it sort of comes across in this way where there's not, even with the characters, you know, there's not that same level of interaction. And that's, it's a time constraint thing to some extent, but it doesn't have to be. That's something we can definitely work in there. And I think that it would be something the audience would, would take away from. Because you get to see the characters on a deeper level than we've really kind of gotten to so far. Like, that deeper level comes out when we do side quests, but that's because it's one person. Well, I wanted to mention the side quests because the side quests are much less procedural and much more dramatic. We're getting into one character and what motivates them. And they've also turned out, and this is somewhat intentional, I guess for backstory reasons, at least it is now, they've been much heavier in tone Without losing the family friendly or losing the, you know, the fun, at least most of the time, like we just did one with Ben's character uh, and I just released it, I think last week it would have been 
Monday the it, it is queued up behind a, a couple other things, but I'm looking forward to it. So that's Ben's character is one that has a very heavy backstory and then that he came up with himself and I'm just kind of rolling with and I've added elements to it that have actually made it a little heavier and sadder than I would have originally intended. And so his side quest is not let's go have lunch with a dragon and then picnic with some goblins. That is, or, you know, even combat didn't really happen. It was just this very, like, almost hour-long heavy thing that I I can do in those shorter groupings, but it's harder to do when I have more than one person around, frankly. Right. Well, and there's a big difference between one player and six players. Oh, yeah. 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 And that's another thing that comes across with combat. There's six of you guys... You know, we have six, we have, you know, Daniel, William, Ben, Jenny, Peter, Grant, plus one to 47 enemies, whatever I'm feeling like in the moment. And that... 47? We'll see what happens in the future. I don't make any promises. That won't be good radio, so it's probably not going to happen. Are we going back to fourth edition minion rules? I was just going to say, please don't bring in fourth edition minion rules. I mean, hey, they'll all only have one hit point. That can't take that long. William almost uh, yeah. knows fireball. You'll get there eventually. It'll be fine. Uh, we'll wait. We'll wait till fifth level. It'll be, it'll be okay. Now that like <laughs> that takes so much time and can become kind of congested. And so mm-hmm. doing these kind of happy, flowy story things is is easier. But I think it's also better listening. But then the side quests have kind of taken on their own little weird feel that is. And I'm going to say it this way, and I don't mean it this way. Entirely on you guys. I blame the side quest on you guys. And by blame it on you guys, I mean (laughs) you guys were nice enough to come on and play in season one. And I forgot to write you guys out of the story at the end of the session, which was my fault. And then you guys would have just walked away in a very heavy, heated moment where you needed to go save someone for absolutely no reason. I'm like, how can I fix that? Ooh, separate story idea. Hold hold on. And then it just kind of became this whole thing. But it's working. It's working very well. Yeah, and it's it's letting you your setting is more interesting and varied because you have the ability to just kind of jump around to different places and throw these different groups of people in. That's the thing. It, the setting as a result of this no longer feels like something made just for this party and only existing when the party is present. I hadn't thought about it like that, but yeah, I guess cuz it I can go, you know, Ben's half of Ben's side quest, no, 90% of Ben's side quest took place in regions and cities and and whatever that the main story is never touched. Right. And that's perfect because it gives the listening audience a sense of this world that now they're maybe curious about and want to know more about. And hey, maybe we want to hear about this other place uh, in the next season or or another character from there. And then you start putting in NPCs who are also from that place as opposed to just somebody local here. It's like, oh yeah, well, you know, my character, yeah, my character's from like a little village kind of down the road from that. Okay. And it starts fleshing out this world and it rewards those engaged listeners who are keeping track of this stuff. And like, yeah, okay. Just like this. Right. Right. The connections they're forming. I feel rewarded for knowing this stuff. Right. It's good. Well, and I think the, the other thing that's cool about the side quest that got touched on a little bit earlier in the this conversation was not only can they deal with a little bit heavier stuff, but they give you the ability to really explore how individual characters handle heavier stuff. Like even Bertrand's, which wasn't super duper heavy, was kind of like, how does this 
combat-trained magic-slinging dwarf handle bullying, you know? <laughs> it was... Because that's basically what was going on with that group of right. orcs. They weren't, like, raiding and, you know, pillaging and burning things down, but they were going around bullying people. Well, and, and they served the, the purpose of, like, they were basically just a plot device to let you fix something. F- physically yeah. fix something, because that's very much a thing for Bertrand, is, is physically mending or emotionally mending people or objects or whatever. And so I'm like, okay, I need something broken. Orcs break things. Here we go. And it just kind of, it goes from there and that they're, they've been interesting and very selfishly on my part, the side quest kind of give me this opportunity and, and originally with you guys to bring in people who, you know, can't play with us all the time or can't play with us regularly, especially people I want to interact with and just have them on and let them do this like, one hour thing so it's not a crazy time commitment but they've kind of put themselves into the world and if we need to use them again we can and and kind of whatever we kind of joked uh, i joked we joked with the min max people about taking their characters from their actual play and having you guys interact with them for literally 15 seconds in passing in the middle of a town with no context whatsoever just (laughs) because it would be this unnecessary amusing crossover (laughs) and ashley's character is a, a gif gif am i saying that wrong yep oh giant oh, oh the the hippo from um uh, glass dagger yeah her, her character in glass yeah. dagger is a giant military hippo person with a pistol and that's funny and she plays yes, that character yeah. fantastically Especially the way she voices oh dear him. sweet mercy it's ridiculous and there's like these little voice things and these little inflections she throws in just for that character and i love it you can hear Ashley's drama background mm-hmm. in, in that. I've I'm still like on the first episode of Glass Dagger, and even there, it's just like, oh yeah, the, this is a person who's been in plays. I can tell. <laughs> well, I'm I'm glad they came along because it's kind of because it's you know it's the folks from Min Max and and Jeff Romo from uh, Inroads Ministries. You now have kind of another family friendly actual play option. Yes, and they've yeah, and their story is a lot more. Because there's only three players, and it it you know it takes some different directions, and it it's been it's been interesting to listen to. I've I've still got a bunch of it to catch up on myself. I think they've actually finished with their first season, uh, very recently, and those are those are all out. But it's a it's an interesting group of characters. Yes, it is. That actually brings us around to, to something that kind of happened with with us when um, Min Max and you came on the scene. Is it's like because none of us are doing this for. You know, we're not trying to make businesses out of this, right? I mean, we've got a Patreon, but it, it it funds our operating expenses, basically. And so when you get more people into the space, it's like, oh, thank goodness we're not alone. There's somebody I can bounce this stuff off of now or, you know, interact with some more. And I, I think that's great. I I love the fact that, you know, we all kind of interact with each other and get along. I came into this with no kind of idea that there was a Christian podcasting scene from from a sort of a nerdy standpoint for for anything. And it turns out there's this heavily interconnected group of people that are all super cool and all super friendly and helpful and uplifting. And that's actually been really great um, to just kind of fall into accidentally. And I'm like, oh, you guys are kind of like a big family and all really nice. I can work with that. OK, cool. Is it, it's a very, very friendly, welcoming environment. Very yeah. much. Yeah, it is. Anything else we want to talk about as far as actual plays, like production or uh, the challenges of like creating a game for actual plays? Anything else we're missing? 
I mean, we could have a whole separate podcast about producing podcasts with lots of different people in lots of different places, but that's very technical. Very much. Yeah. I, 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 so you yeah. want to use these compression <laughs> right. settings. And yeah, then you, yeah. Yeah. Do you have a good microphone? Step one. And yeah, no, that's not, I, I think we've, we've gone through a lot of it. I mean, it, it's the scheduling, it's the, the whatever that's really the biggest challenge. And I think for the most part, you guys have been really, well, you guys have been really good about making that work. I got to work on how much notice I give you guys. Because it's, you know, it's six adults, two of which have children, mm. four of which are married. You know, it's it becomes this whole kind of complicated thing. I was I used to be working night shift, which made it even more complicated. And so it's kind of a it's been a learning process on just scheduling things. I think I think of everyone, I'm probably the easiest to schedule. Yeah, I have a, a conflict every other Wednesday and we record on Wednesday. So every time you throw one out, it's like, could we do the weekend, the Wednesday before or after uh, every time? Actually, I'm I'm pretty easy to schedule, too. I have one Tuesday conflict a month and then every other Thursday for saving the game and then like one Friday and three for our stream. And that's about it, folks. Well, And, and we also have, you know, two time zones, two countries we have a couple people who don't get off to off work to literally the moment we start recording. So, you know, there's some delay getting them on and that's kind of been, it's been a challenge, but it's, it's worked. It's not insurmountable. Right. Yeah. It's a manageable challenge. I almost don't want to record for longer than two or three hours from the standpoint of I'm going to want to break it up into still these sort of less than an hour episodes. And the more you record at one time, yeah. the longer you go between playing and the longer you go between trying to get the stuff out and you just kind of end up with this backlog of, OK, well, when can I tell them this is going to come out, particularly when we have guests on? If we record something, it's just, yeah, you, you know, awesome. Thanks for coming on today. It'll air in a month and a half. And we're also recording really pretty late at night. And by the end of it, you can kind of hear that people are flagging and nobody wants that low energy sound. So you might as well just wrap it up and then, you know, end with enough energy that it keeps people interested for the next one. I'll also say that keeping it that short is also a really good way to make it accessible to more people. Not and yeah. it, especially from like a family friendly kids standpoint. Kids don't have the the, you know, attention span that that most adults do if if it's something that isn't visual and tactile and and you know hitting multiple centers at once, but it's also accessible for those with other sort of attention problems such as myself i know that that i can't really record for longer than two hours because after a certain point my meds run out and i'm done fair <laughs> so so you you don't want to record with me when i'm crashing we've done recordings before when i'm crashing and i can hear it in the audio and i feel so bad every time well the other thing that i've noticed uh, this may just be me because i'm a little bit neurotic about my role playing sometimes but I am fairly careful about the message that I'm sending to the other people around the table, even in private games. It's like I've written all kinds of blog posts and stuff about really kind of wrestling with the ethics of my player characters and stuff like that. That gets turned up not to 11, but to about 17 <laughs> when I know it's getting recorded. Sure. Sometimes Bertrand's a little bit like smart alecky sometimes. And I've had a couple little, you know, moments where I'm like, oh, did I take that a little too far? You know, was that too much of a burn on Trather or something? It's like, eh. 
Yeah. And of course, the answer to that question is, man, I hope so. <laughs> because Trevor. But or if that, nothing else, that's what editing's for. Yeah, that yeah. too. One of the we didn't touch on this at the very beginning, but one of the other classes that we don't use is the warlock class because that's a very fraught word too. And and even the background of the class itself is sure that was just gonna be something um, that is but, but, hard to get into on an explicitly Christian podcast. Now that you say that, I have some ideas I'm going to write down for later. Sorry. <laughs> Somebody said, you know, do you get your spells back on a short rest? And I I replied, not unless you're a warlock. And then I was like, oh, I said one of the words I'm not supposed to say. And even was like, let me say that again with, you know, the word magi in there. And it just uh, it was not well, great. And, so and thankfully, because I'm, I'm recording with, you know, the group I am. That's one of the few things for content reasons I ever actually have to edit out. I go into it. You just know, little yeah like game game mechanic slip-ups i like i'm very upfront with people it's like when we when i have them on and it kind of shows up in in y'all's stuff too this is what i'm looking for this is what i'm very 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 much not going to have but i've never had a point where anyone's pushed the boundaries to the point where i'm having to cut every you know 15 seconds of audio except when i say um repeatedly it you know it's i'm not having to censor things i'm not having to edit things and that's made life a lot easier when I do put that family friendly label out there. I'm not having to force it. Well, and I, I think at least in a couple of our cases, we, we heard, you know, family friendly and it was almost like a challenge accepted. Let's see how wholesome we can make this kind of a thing. <laughs> it's been good so far. Like let, let's, <laughs> let's grab this with both hands and see how far off we can run with, you know, just like it's fun. You know, it's, they, they say that, Restrictions are good for creativity, right? Like if you're just looking at a plain piece of white paper, it's kind of daunting. But if somebody says, you know, paint me a picture of a cat, then you've got something to work with and you can make, oh, you know, this cat has two different colored eyes or whatever, and you can make it interesting. It That, that you know, like super family friendly restriction, I say with air quotes, is really good for like, okay, so... You know, if we got kids listening to this, we don't want a lot of violence. So how do we diffuse this situation? You know, how do we get through this without hurting anybody? Or if we have to fight somebody, how do we end the fight as quickly as possible, as mercifully as possible, and then just move on with our task? Well, and watching you guys try and paint the cat that I've already told you can't be orange, has to have only three paws, its eyes can't be green, and it has to have long fur all in 15 seconds you guys have done a great job with because like I've <laughs> I've told you to paint a cat, but I've made sure you can only very specifically you can paint whatever kind of cat you want as long as it's not these things. And you guys have handled that beautifully. And it makes my job after we record much easier. And I'm very thankful for that. Well, we do try. Yeah, I, I will also say like playing with the group that we do over the past couple of years has helped with that. Because even the the private group that the three of us are in with um, a couple of our other friends and uh, Grant's wife, Chrissy, is really low lethality in terms of other gaming groups. Mm -hmm. Chrissy has remarked about that, I believe, on the podcast, actually, once when she was on, where she was playing with some other folks and they, they took a much more, like, bloodthirsty tack on things. And she was like... I'm not used to this and I'm not really comfortable with it anymore. <laughs> Which is funny so, because she plays the combat monster most of the time. 
And she plays really dangerous combat monsters, too. Yeah. And I want to give you guys those opportunities to show the characters you've made. Like, Daniel added a lot of really cool elements because you guys just went from second to third level. Vatten, his his ranger, got some really cool things that are very specifically combat-oriented, and he wants to use them, and that's great. And I think that was a good reason to start off this last session right after we leveled with a combat. Hey, I mean, the, you know, the story kind of led up there, but also it's like, hey, we all got cool things. Let's show off. Right. You know, he got to do his cool Gloomstalker stuff. You guys got to kind of just, you know, at least mess around a little bit with these new abilities and, and show them off. And I think that's it's something you want to see, but you also don't want it. Like it's finding that balance without having that slog of combat that often shows up. I'm I'm really looking forward to like diffusing something with somebody belligerent using heat metal and being like, no, nah, that sword's too too hot to swing at us. What do you mean? No, it's not. Ow! Oh, well, that's <laughs> something I'm gonna have to note now. Well, but but it is telling that, and this is one reason I do like D and D as a game, and there are other games that do this just as well or better. But D and D offers some options here. You can express character through mechanics. Yes, very much. And so you look at Trather, he just hit third level, took the Battlemaster uh, archetype. And so what what three special attacks did he get? He got a distracting strike that lets someone else get an advantage when they attack. He got a commander strike that says, hey, you over there, there's an opening. Do your thing now and give them an extra attack rather than doing it himself and a disarming attack. When in like six rounds of combat, you got to use two of those and they were both super cool. Yeah. And I didn't use the disarming one just because I, it didn't come up. But also, you know, I'm setting other people up and trying to set other other people up to be a success and have their own moments. And that's fun and that's cool. But, you know, when Trather does get up into a duel or something, he will happily disarm someone repeatedly and just be like, please stop. Yeah. <laughs> Sick of fighting yet? How about now? How about now? How about now? The person's yeah. like, oh, for goodness sakes, yes, I guess I'm sick of fighting. I come in with seven swords on a single character, and after seven turns, he has no swords left. <laughs> yeah. Well, it better not be. So, can I limit you to four? Ooh, uses per day. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. And that seems more reasonable. Who's got the time to carry okay, seven, war, um, seven swords? I mean, encumbrance. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, CRPG characters, but that's beside the point. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Anything else we want to cover? I don't think so. I think so. we got, mo- we no, got, we got all think, the things. I think that's it. Excellent. Because yeah. this feels like a good wrapping up point. Once again, thank you for joining us, Ryan. This has been a really good conversation. It's been a lot more intimate in a way because we're talking with somebody who we've already done a lot with about a thing that we're actively engaged in. So it's a very different guest conversation than we've had in the past. And I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's kind of cool to do that. I'm enjoying I, it. I appreciate you guys having me. And it's been good because it's been, it's it's good to hear someone say something about the game that's not just, oh, that was really fun to listen to, which I want people to say, but kind of getting these sort of like a feedback thing, not even feedback, just kind of a, what are some things we haven't done that we can explore? What are we, some things we need to, you know, maybe do a little differently because it is an actual play, you know, that I, we need to treat differently than just sitting around the table for six hours. It's been nice to kind of get that. I I have a sticky note of notes right now of of things going (laughs) forward. If you want unbelievable levels of analysis, saving the game is the podcast for you. So far, so good. But, and you're right that 
we've been breaking down this particular game pretty heavily because it's something that we can talk about and talk about specific examples of. But once again, I want to remind everyone, these are things that I think everybody who's running an actual play needs to think about. And there are people who are really good at doing one particular aspect and maybe not as good at another, right? If you come from like a drama or improv background, doing the character stuff is probably second nature to you. That's fine. But making sure there's a procedural through line of things happening might be something you struggle with. People are looking for that too, so make sure you include that. You just got to know your own strengths and weaknesses and and look honestly at what you're doing and then say, how can we improve? When it, it, it's, why, it's one of the things I really like about you guys with saving the game. You have a completely different set of experiences, particularly from a tabletop perspective than I do, and a much deeper set of experiences and so that it gives me a lot of things I can take and learn from. And I would never have thought of that. Oh, that is a thing I could be doing. And so that's been actually incredibly helpful. Well, good. I'm glad. And we get a chance to pay forward some of the stuff that we've learned from Fear the Boot and things over the years. <laughs> <laughs> good and yeah. We get a chance to actually implement anything we have talked about over the past 151 episodes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it helps. All right. Well, Ryan, once again... Thank you again for coming on. If people want to find City on a Hill Gaming, where should they go? Uh, for our website, which is uh, mainly our RSS feed, or if you're looking for us in your favorite podcast apps, uh, City on a Hill Gaming, cityonahillgaming.com. Uh, if you want to come talk to us on Twitter, City on a Hill Game. And uh, that's actually, that's all of them. That is all the social things. Yeah, and if you want to come interact with Ryan directly, he hangs out in our Discord sometimes. Yes, I do. So come that's find right. him there. That's right. And you can find that on our website, stgcast.org or savingthegamepodcast.org. Just look up in the menu. There's a Discord link. You can also look uh, over on the right-hand side. There's a little Discord widget that shows who's on and channels and that sort of thing. So click on that if you want as well. And if you want to reach out to us on social media, we're Saving the Game on Twitter and Facebook. We're on your podcatcher of choice as well or your podcast provider of choice. If Again, if we're not, let me know. I'll fix that. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, that helps us a great deal. It gives us direct feedback and lets other people know whether or not they should listen. And please do the same for City on a Hill Gaming after giving them a listen. Yeah, definitely. That would be greatly appreciated. Thank you. Because they could probably use uh, a couple more reviews being a newer podcast. We've collected a few over the years, obviously. Well, Ryan, again, once I'm going to keep saying it. Thank you so much for running a really good game. First of all, we're having, it's just been a lot of fun. I like, I look forward to playing Trather. It's great. And thank you guys for agreeing to play. I mean, that was, we had the, you know, kind of an unfortunate circumstance at the end of the first campaign where I was going to lose two of my four players uh, for, you know, personal family health reasons. And that was all completely fine. And, and the choice that should have been made and I was fine with it, but it left me with kind of this. Oh, um, I suddenly went from... Where did my players go? Yeah, I went from four <laughs> to five players to maybe two and a half. Okay. Um, and yeah. I just kind of, I'm looking around at options and I kind of felt nudged. It was like, okay, well, maybe I'll see if they want to. You guys had, you know, you guys had come on once in season one. We had done the side quest thing and I'm like, okay, we'll try it. And you all said yes. And I'm like, uh, perfect. I We can make that work. Let's, let's. All the dungeons and dragons. No, no dungeons. There's never any dungeons. <laughs> yeah, we had a dragon you, in the first. You did session. finally have a dragon. That was the thing we finally did. We should have a dungeon at some point. You know, just for fun. There was implication it was maybe not dragon though. So that's 
That's interesting. Oh, see, I got the impression that it was Other Dragon, but when then you to know what we're talking about, you really should go listen to the first yeah. episode. Yeah. Or two. <laughs> yeah, and now that we're of, starting to ramble, it's now probably be time, time to wrap the episode up. Oh, yeah. Like we haven't rambled already in this episode. What's a little more rambling, Peter? <laughs> I, I tend to bring that out. I of mean, people. that's fair. <laughs> yeah. All right. Seriously, though, go listen to City on a Hill Gaming. We are having a blast recording it. And then I'll tell you, despite having played in those games, I still queue it up every time an episode comes out and love listening to it. It's yeah. just that good. So. Yeah, you, you forget the, the fun little stuff that happens. So it's it's nice to listen to as well. Yeah. All right. Well, from all of us here at Saving the Game and City on a Hill Gaming, have a good one. Take it easy. Catch you next time. See ya. Bye. See you later, folks. This has been a production of Saving the Game. All episodes are produced and published under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution, share-alike license. Our logo is by Ruben Smith Zimple of 3d6design.com. Our music is The Promised Place Beyond the Clouds by James Opie. You can find more of his music at nihilor.com. To hear our past episodes, to find syndication and license details, to connect with our fantastic listener community, or to contact us or support our show through Patreon, visit our website at stgcast.org or savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, do good, and happy gaming.